The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We have a chance to ride out this Omicron wave without shutting down our country once again. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. We need to recognise that Russia is now calling the shots here. Mad in their sleaze with a divided party. A Prime Minister losing the support of his backbenchers yeah. and governing shambolically. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Boris Johnson is visiting the UAE and Saudi Arabia today to lobby OPEC producers to pump more oil amid the war in Ukraine, which of course is leading to soaring energy prices. The Gulf states are among the few producers with significant spare capacity, but they've so far resisted calls from the US, uh, Japan and other European countries to boost production. Uh, Japan has had to defend his push for closer ties, given Saudi Arabia's human rights record, including the execution of 31 people over the weekend. Well, from one repressive regime to another, there are reports that Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, the British-Iranian charity worker and mother who had been detained in Iran since 2016, is flying back to the UK. Still not clear whether Britain paid a debt to the Iranian government dating back to the 1970s. Ministers have always insisted the issue of payment and the release of Zaghari Ratcliffe are unconnected. Now, Tulik Sadiq is Zaghari Ratcliffe's NP. She spoke this morning about the hopes of the release. She hasn't seen her British passport since the 3rd of April 2016, six years ago. So she was astonished to receive her British passport. But when she was leaving, they said, don't book a flight. We'll sort out your travel arrangements. Well, joining us now is Andy McDonald, Labour MP for Middlesbrough. Andy, thanks so much for joining us on uh, Bloomberg Westminster again. So the Prime Minister is in the Middle East. He's uh, there to do a deal with the Saudis. Are you are you comfortable with that, with that situation? No, I'm not comfortable. Um, we have to understand the pragmatism that's, that, that's being applied here, but I am, I am distinctly uncomfortable uh, with the British Prime Minister... Uh, running off to Saudi Arabia. And really, I'm not quite understanding the details of this, given that you know we are not dependent on Russian oil as, the, as it is currently configured. Um, so it's not a question of su- supply. It's about uh, price uh, for us. Uh, but uh, I think Boris Johnson has got to make it abundantly clear uh, that the reaction in this country to 81 uh, men being executed over the last several days is one of utter outrage. Uh, and of course, that's on the back of the assassination of uh, Kamal Khashoggi uh, and other uh, other outrages. Um, we, we, we condemn Putin for what he did in Salisbury uh, and his incursions mm. and human rights abuses. We've got to apply the same standards uh, universally. Yeah. Um, so um, I hope that he's getting those messages across in no uncertain terms. But in terms of energy costs, 
pretty much no matter what Rishi Sunak does to try to alleviate the problems here at home, it's really the OPEC producers that are the ones that can make a difference here. You know, we have to do business with them. Well, that's that's in their gift to increase the output um, across the uh, the Middle East, and um, one would hope that they would do that in in any event. Um, but there are other things at play here. I know he's going to be um, uh, speaking to a, a project, a Saudi-backed project, uh, that's going to um, create uh, jobs, apparently, to produce uh, aviation fuel from waste. Um, we've got to be careful yes, about the, side, the partners yeah. we choose. Absolutely. But we've got to be careful about the partners we choose to make sure that we're not just turning a blind eye to money wherever it comes from. Here we are in the middle of this crisis over Ukraine and that practice of not caring about how people come by their wealth uh, has, has, has bitten us so badly. We can't just turn from one um, repressive regime to another and, and have no regard to the human rights abuses that are being, being committed. We've got to apply these standards in an ethical way. Uh, and that doesn't appear to be the case um, with Boris Johnson and his dealings with um, not only the Saudis, but with the Russians as well. We hear about those connections regularly. And is the answer to produce more of our own energy in this country? Oh. Middlesbrough's consumers presumably are, are struggling. Middlesbrough industry must be struggling as well with high energy prices. Do we need to be drilling in the North Sea more? Do we need to be fracking? Well, certainly not. We shouldn't be fracking uh, because, first of all, it's far too difficult geologically. The time it will take to actually bring that on stream will be such a date in the future, uh, by which time our progress on renewables will have, in, uh, will have uh, increased uh, immensely and we'll be able to increase the proportion of energy that we secure from new renewable sources. That is why um, Ed Miliband uh, has been very clear our, our energy spokesperson in saying that we should be having a sprint for renewables, re relieving the uh, restrictions on onshore uh, wind development, redoubling our efforts in terms of solar, but importantly on on on, on the lagoons that were postponed in 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 Swansea and of course in Liverpool. But we're still that, going to need more gas, aren't we? Which we rely. We we're are still going to carry on using uh, gas. We can, we, we're, we, we've got a supply of gas. The supply into the UK isn't, isn't the, the issue because we are so lacking in dependency upon Russian oil and gas. Uh, Norway is our a major supplier, and that is relatively secure. But I acknowledge readily that we work within a single uh, market of oil and gas, and it's the price that, uh, that, that concerns us because notwithstanding that our supply is secure... It doesn't uh, mean that our prices don't increase. So supply is uh, relevant. Uh, but the, we've got to look at other ways of alleviating the impact upon businesses, mm. upon our industries and on our consumers. And the package of mitigations that have come forward from the Chancellor thus far uh, have frankly been laughable uh, to offer people a £200 loan uh, as a way of ameliorating some of the impact okay. is not going to touch the sides. So, so we Andy, need what's, a much more what's the solution then from Sunak? What do you want in the spring budget? Is it, you I, know, a VAT I, cut? I mean, fuel duty's been frozen for years. Well, yes, he could, he could deliver a, 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 a VAT cut on, on fuel. He could also 
um, take a windfall tax from the oil and gas companies right now, they are making more money than they know what to do with. I know the plea that they didn't make money in years past, but mm. as we speak now, they are making money hand over fist. And I think it was BP or was it Shell? I can't remember which one said. Um, uh, it's just a money-making machine at the moment. The levels of profitability and, of course, the receipts coming into the Treasury from, from fuel duty and, uh, and taxes is, is increased enormously. So the Chancellor has the ability to make a political choice that will help business, help industry and help consumers. It's a question of political will. The, the, the means to achieve this are there at his disposal. And next week, he should be making those choices to make these positive impacts. Uh, and we'll be okay. watching that with uh, bated breath. And he wants to talk to you about uh, football, Chelsea Football Club in particular, mm. having uh, a bit of a fight with uh, Middlesbrough over uh, the uh, upcoming uh, match uh, and where the fans should, <laughs> whether they should be held behind closed doors. Do, do you think that clubs have been too willing to accept money from dubious sources in, in the past? Oh, without any doubt, and it continues to this day. And as the chairman of Middlesbrough Football Club uh, said, you know, using the words sporting in, and in, sporting integrity and Chelsea in the same sentence are just mutually exclusive. Um, people have been quite very happy to enjoy all the benefits and riches that were brought by Roman Abramovich, who's stolen money from the Russian people, uh, and seem to not care about where this money comes from. We have the Saudis investing in Newcastle United. Apparently, another Saudi is going to be uh, buying um, uh, Chelsea. So we do have to clean up football because it's this sports washing that's been going on for these. Yeah, but uh, come on, uh, this has been years. known about for years, if not decades. I mean, the hollowing out of standards in the UK from dirty money—it's extended into a lot of industries. In football, it was absolutely blatant at the top of the Premier League. So, what do we do? Mm. The fit and proper test is not transparent, particularly or independent. Does that no, need it to isn't, be tightened Caroline. up? It, it, it does, and 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 uh, Tracy Crouch, who who I. Jeffrey Admire, a former sports minister, has been leading on this issue about football governance. We've got to clean it up. It isn't just at Chelsea or at New or Newcastle where people have got their concerns. It's right through the game. Um, it is riddled with people you know, cheating and not abiding by the rules uh, to gain advantage. Uh, and you're right, it's been known about for, for many, many years, almost since the inception of the, the Premier League itself, and football's got to clean up its act. Newcastle United supporters and Chelsea supporters don't want to be burdened with their, their, these reputations. They're proud of their clubs and, and want to support them faithfully. Um, they don't need to have uh, these sorts of things hanging, hanging over them and their reputation's absolutely trashed wherever they go in the country or indeed in other European competitions. So it needs cleaning up, uh, Caroline, and there's, there's, that's got to be pressed ahead with, with great urgency because we can't keep skipping from one repressive regime to another, um, just washing their money through sport. Um, and that's got to come to an end. Do you think any clubs are, are better than others? Middlesbrough presumably would, would take Russian money, w would have taken Russian money if, if it had been on offer. Oh, absolutely and utterly not. Um, the chairman of Middlesbrough Football Club, uh, somebody I've known for many, many decades, and, he, and he's, he's uh, 
uh, had successful businesses. He's ploughed uh, his own money in, as, 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 as the rules permit, working within the proper structures. Uh, I'd, I think it would be a cold day in hell before Steve Gibson took money from uh, Russian oligarchs or from, or from Saudi Arabia. Um, that isn't going to happen. There are good people in football who do the job properly. Sadly, it's not universal across the, across all our leagues, it's, but it's about time we had tests to make sure uh, that only um, uh, people of integrity and people with honourable sources of, of income come into the game. That's not been the case hitherto. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Okay, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics today. And joining us for that is Bloomberg's Leanne Gerrans. It could be a huge day in Britain, Leanne, if Nazneen Zaghari Ratcliffe actually lands back in the UK. So this news is just coming to us here in the Bloomberg building, Caroline, and we must say is a rolling story. But we have heard from the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, and he says the UK government's negotiations with Iran to free British nationals are indeed moving forward today. So some positive news there. British Iranian aid worker Nazneen Zaghari Radcliffe. Now, she was accused of being a spy and hasn't been able to return here to the UK for six years. But but according to the government, she's recently had her passport returned. And also Tulip Sadiq, who is Nazneen's MP, says Nazneen is at the airport in Tehran on her way home. So this is a massive step forward for Nazneen and, of course, for her husband, Richard Radcliffe, who I interviewed many years ago when this happened in 2016. He has always denied that um, there were any charges against her, really accusing the Iranian government government of using her as a diplomatic pawn in the you know in a game really that's what he always said and I also want to say we've heard from this foreign secretary who says mm. the UK is looking for ways to pay 400 million pounds owed to Iran and that's in relation to a 1976 arms deal so this is a very complicated story once you scratch the surface and go underneath but Nazneen Zaghari Radcliffe since 2006 16, she's been trying to leave an Iranian jail after she was accused of spying. And also throughout that time, Caroline, we've really heard how this has impacted her both physical and mental health. And she also hasn't been able to see her daughter as much as she would have liked to. So things are now start starting to progress. And we also heard from our very own reporter, that's Bloomberg's Simone Foxman. She says Nazneen is still in the process of apparently leaving the country, but the release of the British-Iranian woman could potentially be an important indication for the revival of the 2015 Iran nuclear deal. Yeah, six years is a very long time. Hopefully some uh, good news uh, for uh, Nazneen Zaghari-Ratcliffe. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Bloomberg's Leanne Gerrins.
Okay, uh, so let's also talk then about uh, what Britons are thinking about uh, this week. After the Russian invasion of Ukraine, defence and foreign affairs have leapt to the top of Britain's concerns in the latest Ipsos UK Issues Index. The cost of living and inflation worries now coming in second. Joining us now is Kelly Beaver, the CEO of Ipsos, to talk us through you know, the, the regular kind of uh, check that you have of what Britons are thinking about and and of course, war in Europe, the non-stop coverage that there has been, means that Britons are really pretty concerned. What have they been telling you, Kelly? So they are. You mentioned our issues index. It's been running for around 50 years now, asking the public in a spontaneous way, not prompted, what do you think the biggest issues are facing Britain today? And not surprised, as you say, that national security uh, is top of the agenda for people. And they are very, very worried about uh, the invasion of Ukraine and potential for wider spread war. We see that coming out quite strongly and they want to see government supporting through sanctions, diplomatic and humanitarian aid. So that that's clear. But beneath the surface of that and above COVID now as a concern, very much in the public mind, is the economy and rising inflation. Mm. Um, and this is because we can see it coming through in other data where it's really starting to not just be a worry of anticipated household price rises, things that people are facing day to day, like their grocery shopping. It's happening now. People are having to take actions now because of the rising costs of their food and grocery shopping. Uh, and that's why we see it rising uh, so far up in the issues index. How much is that? How far has that moved up the index over the past few months? Is it continuing to become more of a worry? Yes, well, we, we tend to publish the top 10 to 12 issues and it was way down the bottom of the list, quite frankly, and it, and it did rocket up. But it was an anticipated shift. People were worried, again, beneath the surface of that issues index. We saw they were worried. They felt like they were hanging off this precipice, waiting for the costs of living to rise, the energy price rises that are anticipated to come uh, next month but also in their core grocery shopping. But now what we see, as I say, is they are starting to take action. It's not just this anticipated worry. They see it come through in the grocery shopping. Even ten are telling us that they are starting to change how they are shopping. And one in five have changed from their regular supermarkets. And of those people, they're moving to supermarkets like Aldi, Lidl and Asda in that order. So we're seeing the British public move and become much more discerning shoppers for their daily essentials. Yeah, even in my neighbourhood, only a couple of days ago, I saw free food being handed out, not just sort of food banks that people find out about often through word of mouth, but actually pallets of food being handed out to people on the street. I was quite surprised, uh, perhaps I shouldn't be, with that cost of living crisis. Um, energy, petrol, diesel prices are also seeing significant increases. What do people feel about those? I mean, People are also aware of the potential threat to our energy supply from the war. So there's, you know, it's a confluence of risks and people understand that, don't they? They are. And whilst they're aware of the, the risk to energy supplies, they still want to see government act, which is quite, quite interesting. So putting wider interests ahead of their own personal finance interests in spite of being hugely concerned about cost of living. So energy prices have been high up the public's levels of concern as a, as a singular issue from around October last year, actually, we, we were talking to them. They were worried about it. But it is now um, going to become very, very real for the British public in the next month or so. We've all had, in the last couple of weeks, 
uh, information from their energy provider about what the cost of their new bills will be. So I expect we will see much more of this uh, coming up to the, the fore in our in our data and our research. Now, importantly for Boris Johnson and the Conservatives, do do people blame the government for these cost of living increases? So when you look at where the, the public perceive that some of the challenges that they're facing are coming through and we look also at the data that we've got on views on government competency there are concerning um, metrics i think for the government in that competency scorecard from the british public how well they think they're doing their job how well they think they're delivering on key policies whether it's immigration or indeed leveling up agenda etc and the only area really where we see them being quite favorable of the government was around the vaccine rollout so in all other areas, and including you know this this cost of living handling of the economy piece, mm. is is definitely an area where the government scorecard is not as green as it needs to be as they come into certainly local elections in the next couple of months. We briefly did mention COVID. Um, the last of the COVID restrictions, um, you know, going, going, gone in, in the UK and, and feels, you know, out on the streets of London, certainly pretty normal in terms of life. People don't wear masks very much. Um, what are the concerns? Is that really kind of dropped back? Because there are still quite a lot of cases in the UK um, of COVID, but are people a lot less worried about that now? Yes, we've seen a drop. So COVID was the singular highest issue we had ever seen in the issues index. It was ranking like nine and 10 people thought it was the top issue facing the British public for well over 18 months. It was quite something, but not a surprise given the level of daily disruption in people's lives. It's been dropping since around October, November time, um, and then quite substantively in the last couple of months to to a level four now on that index as the top issues mentioned. Um, so yes, it is it is declining in terms of public concern and public worry. And I, I guess one of the things that feeds through to that is the the data on uh, deaths and the extent to which the vaccine wall is still holding. If you look around the world, we know that countries, including um, Hong Kong in particular are finding it very challenging at the minute because of their own vaccine take-up rates. Uh, in the UK, the, the public appear to be less concerned about the more significant effects of COVID. And what about looking at the wider uh, political polling? Um, Partygate is out of the news now. We're all focused on the situation in Ukraine. Has that moved the dial for the, the, the gap between the Conservatives and Labour? Well, so the, the polls in the, in the main are still putting Labour ahead of different different degrees, around four points on average across the various polls that are being conducted. But what we have seen is a drop in public concern around um, you know, lack of trust in politicians and politics. Boris Johnson's own ratings are starting to improve a tiny amount. And I, I think what we have seen is the public minds have definitely moved on from what looked like it was a very significant crisis for the Conservative government, Boris Johnson himself, back in December and January of this year. Um, a lot are mooting this is the equivalent of his Falklands. But what, what he's also challenged with is this cost of living crisis and what Margaret Thatcher had when her ratings managed to survive um, quite a similar, very low, you know, negative ratings from the, the public. She had Falklands, but she also had a boost in the economy. Mm. So um, I think I think he's coming up from a very low base very slowly uh, and Labour still do have a, a lead in the polls. So 
public mind has moved on at the minute and um, at, a, at a time when things were very challenging for both our Conservative government. Um, so, yes, interesting time. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.